Alright, we're back with another episode of the Unpressure Outdoors podcast. Uh, this week's episode is going to be titled Lessons Learned. We're just going to we're gonna talk about some things we've learned along the way so that hopefully you can benefit from it uh, where we screwed up. Lessons we've learned. So... I'm joined this week by Ian. You guys met Ian back in episode 16, maybe? I think so. Quarantine sucks. Last time we talked to Ian, he was all the way out in Washington. Yeah, not amount of time I've covered the thousands of miles and made my way here. Maybe and now he's person. back in his state of rearing. <laughs> it's and good to be back. It's good to see actual lightning. Wonderful, humid <laughs> state of Florida. It's pretty rare to see lightning out there, it seems like. Heat lightning, anyway. <laughs> Yeah, it's a little bit, we got a little little bit popping off out here tonight. Heat lightning here and there, and we'll see how it goes, yeah. So, before we get into this, we got to talk about some cool stuff happening here at Under Pressure Outdoors. So, you guys have heard for the longest time, we're always talking about Sportsman Shield, and Sportsman Shield um, has been there, has been with us as a sponsor of the show since... Episode two, two or three. Um, they came to us and they said, "Hey, we'd like you guys to try our product. Give us a review of the product and uh, let me know what you think." Um, and we took that on and we, we got those little durable decals and we rolled with it. They were great. You guys heard the ad. You know, the durable outdoor decal that makes your thieves leave a G, a tra- your trail camera has a GPS tracking device inside. Um, but now, six months in, we've been blessed to be able to partner with Warrior's Quest. Um, and Warrior's Quest is a not-for-profit organization uh, that focuses on getting veterans into the great outdoors to experience the healing power of dirt therapy, as I like to call it. Now, have the, uh, have the people at home heard the story behind that? It's kind of an illustration of the, the small world, the small community. And I, I don't say small as inside, I just mean everybody seems to be connected to everybody else. The, uh, the story behind how you came to find out, you came to, came to discover that perhaps someone you know right down the road would be a connection. We talking about me meeting Jay? Yeah. At racetrack? Yeah. There you go. <laughs> I was accosted by the mailman. <laughs> um, I actually met one of the producers for Warriors Quest uh, at a gas station one morning. Come to find out he's my neighbor and we've since become good friends and they've, they've brought us on with the podcast and uh, a lot of the guys in that organization are veterans themselves. Um, as we are here at Under Pressure Outdoors, the majority of us, uh, and actually, you know, a lot of the guests we've had on have all been vets as well. That's where I made a lot of my friends um, throughout my time in the military. So, with us partnering with them, uh, we're also going to shift into trying to pull some vets because some guys maybe they can't help. Uh, not necessarily to say that they're unhelpable, but there's only so much funds in a year. So if we can get some guys local to us that are willing to, they, they want to 
go out, they want to hunt, they want to fish, they want to um, learn how to do it, we're going to take those guys on and we're going to do that at the lowest cost possible. Because that's always been our, our motto. It's, it's about spending money in the right place. And I, I hate to say not spending. Spending as little money as possible. Uh, I mean, I just bought a $100 rain jacket. Yeah. I could have bought far cheaper rain gear, and I have bought, in the past. Could have bought more, far more expensive, too, but I think you made a good decision. <clears throat> I have in the past bought cheaper rain gear, but I can't tell you how many, you know, cheap rain gear is loud. Mm -hmm. Cheap rain gear does not keep you dry when it actually rains. Um, and good rain gear isn't cheap. So, bought a good rain jacket, liked it. I go back by the pants when I save up some more money. Yeah. But... Kind of like buying that, that tent from a, a low-budget place. I don't want to throw any any corporate names out there. But uh, going out to maybe, maybe the wrong place and buying a really cheap tent and then finding out, hey, this ain't the best <laughs> the best piece of equipment to have in a, a Florida thunderstorm. How about that hammock you had that ripped? Where did you buy that hammock at? Before we went on that backpacking trip in, uh, in Georgia to... What was that? What's in Providence Providence Canyon? Yeah. 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 Well, it lasted about a night. Yeah. <laughs> it didn't rip until after the trip, thank God. Uh, I don't even remember but how long was it? It was, like two it was nights, one night? Or it... Two nights. It's two nights? Yeah. It may have ripped that second night. But... It ripped when we got back home. You were messing with it in the backyard. Uh, no, and you were, I mean, you're well under the 425. It never got Yeah. yeah it, you're well under the 425 pound strength of that hammock and then there she went uh, Ian's glad, laying flat on his back on the ground yeah, trying to remember that far back that's that's a workout a mental workout yeah, how old were we? Jeez. man I was still in high school yeah I might have been 17 or 18 yeah. junior well, senior year I still had the guy back there not outside of the weight limits of the <laughs> not 450 yeah, pounds yeah. I don't I don't it was probably from uh, rhymes with Wally World. Walmart. <laughs> I'll say it. Because it is Wally World. Walmart. <laughs> yeah. You gotta be wary buying stuff that you're gonna you're gonna spend a lot of time in that hammock. It's, right. Yeah. Gotta be wary spending money on stuff you're gonna be putting a lot of use into. And I bought an Eno. Eno, Enu. How do you say Eno. it? Eagle's Nest. Eno. Eagle's Nest. Eno. Eagle's Nest Outdoors, I think. Eagle's Nest. Yeah, something like that. And uh, I have since got rid of that hammock, and I I kept mosquito, it for many years. Mosquito Creek is what I think we. Really, That's why I bought that one. We outfitted ourselves. I yeah, think I bought one of the that place is, from there. is is well is gone now. Great store when it was here. Yeah, a little uh, pricey, but you could find good deals. They had some good stuff in yeah. there. You know. So, but I had that Eno for the longest time, and uh, and the only reason I got rid of it was because. I wanted one that was darker colored, and that joker was teal and purple. And the only reason I bought teal and purple was because that's the only color they had left, and I needed a hammock. You ever used it ever, ever since then? Did I use it since then? Yeah. No, because I couldn't take it out into the field in the Army, whip out a teal and purple hammock, and throw her up some trees. I don't even know if I'd have been allowed to whip out a hammock in the Army. That was one of those, in some of those instances, that 
there were it depended on the field problem. Yeah. Shooting gunnery. <clears throat> we could have we could have whipped up some hammocks between some stuff. Uh, in fact, that's probably the only time we slept in hammocks. Other than that, we just slept in the truck. That's all pretty much we ever did. Yeah. Uh, like real world outside the water stuff. And then field problems. We're MPs. What's a field problem? <laughs> I don't think as an MP, I probably did quite a few field problems, but none that I can remember where I actually got to use a whole lot of my own equipment. Yeah. Well, I went five years at Campbell, and then I went down to Stewart, and they're like, here's a tent. I was like, well, what do I need a tent for? Yeah. I thought you gave me a poncho. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> that tent was nice, though. I did use that tent once. And then it was it's just a hassle to take up, you know, up and down. When you break a tent pole and they want their money back for a tent pole. I think the last time I saw a tent was a shelter and a half in basic training, but experiences vary. Field problems, field problems yeah. are different. <laughs> different experiences for different MLSs, I guess. We did them. Just, we didn't do them the same. So we partnered with Warriors Quest. And in partnering with Warriors Quest, that has brought us on some awesome sponsors. Um, sponsors you've heard of, sponsors you may use. So we'll talk about those guys for a minute. Our title sponsor uh, is Martin Archery. Martin Archery was in. has been in the game for a long time, um, and then they went out of business, and then they came back um, shortly thereafter. But the Martin Archery of today is nowhere close to the Martin Archery what Martin Archery was years ago. Uh, Martin Archery is combining leading-edge modern technology with innovative design to give serious bow hunters and target archers what they demand. They're taking that target bow technology and they're packing it into a hunting bow to provide you that accuracy and dampening vibration. And that They are they're some pretty sweet bows and I can't wait to get my hands on one. I'll be sure to let you guys know what I think about it. If it's well worth the money or not. Yeah, I've heard nothing but good things about them. Um, I've also heard there's a, a nice price point. To be a little facetious there. Um, now, when it comes to something of high quality, I mean, you're going to end up paying for it. And a lot of people might think, well, like, you know, those are those are super high-end bows, a lot of them. How do you reconcile the difference between the price point and and the, uh, the theme of the podcast is, is basically looking for your best option when it comes to hunting on a budget. Well, see, now, yes and no. Um, because we talk about lessons learned. I'll say this. If there's one thing I learned, one of those lessons I've learned along the way is if you see something, if, if you're stuck to a brand or stuck to a product, if you just absolutely want to have uh, like that front runner Matthews bow, um, or you have to have that Remington 700, or a Christensen rifle, Christensen Arms rifle, 
semi-custom rifle. You have to have that. That's what you want to have. They're very nice. And they're not... They are expensive, but they are not ridiculously expensive. Maybe, let's say, you want to go and get you one of those new... Uh, those new meat eater rifles. Who makes those? Oh, jeez. You have to ask me. I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to put under the pressure of being on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Get, uh... Oh, man. I want to say Kimber, but it's not Kimber. Uh, Kimber makes a really nice mountain rifle. Kimber does make a nice rifle. Kimber makes a decent handgun. See, now you're going to make me whip out the phone just to find out what, what Mr. Hey. Hop to Mr. Google. We'll come back to that in a minute. Yeah, but I'll let you, know. you say you want to have that this this specific thing, but then you you maybe him haul around and you find a cheaper variant that kind of looks like it and all that. You're just going to end up not satisfied. You're going to spend five hundred dollars here when you should have just saved a little longer and spent two grand. So you end up spending twenty five hundred dollars instead. So is it a Weatherby? It's Weatherby. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Weatherby makes that meat eater rifle. I don't even know how much it costs. Oh, I'm, I'm drooling over it right now. Okay. <laughs> looking at it. But looking at anyway, save that money. It's it's about budget. We've, we've been hunting on a budget. Budget doesn't mean I have to buy it cheap. Budget means I need to know where to spend and where to save in order to get what I want. So do I need that expensive Christian, Christensen arms? Or <clears throat> can I play with the budget, look at what I got, look at what I need, maybe save a little bit, and outfit a, uh, a Ruger American in the, the, the caliber that I want and put a, a nice piece of glass on it and maybe get the same results, I think that's perfectly doable. And that's, I think that's in spirit with the, uh, the idea of the podcast in the first place. Well, I'll tell you the lesson. I'll tell you my experience. I wanted the top-of-the-line bow, right? But I could not afford the, afford the top-of-the-line bow. So I bought one of the cheaper packages that came ready to hunt came with the sight came with the arrow rests all that stuff all i had to do was buy arrows and a release and a target and i was ready to go i killed deer with that bow and i liked shooting that bow wasn't super in love with that bow but had i just saved money for maybe five more months, I could have bought the bow I actually wanted, and I may may have still had it today, which I'm really, like I said, I'm really looking forward to getting this Martin bow in my hands and, and giving it a giving it a run for its money, because I've been out of the bow hunting game for a while, because I had that bow, and I got tired of it. I, I missed a couple deer with it, and I was looking for something to blame, uh, and I just, I got rid of it. Yeah. I think I bought a, a diamond. package, but I never even, never really did anything with it. I just bought it on a whim because I was like, you know, maybe getting a bow is a good idea. I think I spent, uh, as far as price point goes, probably close to 500 on it. Ended up never using the damn thing. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's probably something that plagues people too, is they, they see the, the greatest newfangled thing and think, I need that for the inventory. I need that for that, that hunt that plan on doing five years down the road when really what I could have done is maybe come up with a plan for the hunt and then found a way to, to, to fund for the, the equipment that I actually needed. But um, I think that's also key is saving up is part of doing that whole that whole budgeting thing, putting right. on a budget. 
doesn't necessarily mean go to, uh, we mentioned it before, Wally World, even though I don't even remember where I got that hammock. But point being, go somewhere like that, buying something at that really cheap price point, you get that high of, oh, look what I found for, for really cheap, and you get out in the field and realize that's that's not what I need, or it broke. <laughs> right. So, um, I think finding that way to budget for the future is key in actually getting out in the field and having, having what you need without having having spent you know, that exorbitant amount. So. so, in addition to Martin Archery, we also have Axis Camera Arms. Um, Axis Camera Arms, their, their main camera arm is called the Axis Revolution. Uh, the Axis Revolution is an overhead camera arm designed similar to that of a Hollywood-style jib or camera crane. The camera arm mounts to the tree above your head and then hangs out in front of you. The camera arm itself has both horizontal and vertical telescoping square aluminum tube sections for individualized adjustment and a lighter overall weight. The camera mount allows for a full uninhibited 360 degrees of articulation so no matter where the action is, you can get a camera on it. For a camera arm that offers smooth, full-range motion without restriction, lightweight, and easy to pack, the name speaks for itself, the Axis Revolution. So, I actually have one in my hands now, and it is cool. The first thing I said when, I, when, when Jay put that camera arm in my hands, I looked at this and I said, this makes so much more sense comparative to the, the traditional camera arm. Um... To me, it just makes so much more sense how it hangs out in front of you. It's, it's less intrusive because a lot of times you have camera arms now that are folding. It ha it'll have three arm sections that will fold out to bring the camera out in front of you. But now you have an arm that comes around you to get the camera in front of you. And when you do that, now you need to have something separate to film to your left side if the camera arm's coming out on your right side. You just the way you have to set it up. Whereas I can take this Axis Revolution, I can stand up in my tree stand, and I can strap the camera arm to the tree above me, and now the camera just hangs down out in front of me, in front of my face. So I can spin this joker all the way to the right, all the way to the left. I can push the camera arm out and spin the camera around and face back at me, and I can film myself uh, for an interview, or I can rotate back around. I can you know tilt the, the head. They're just cool, man. They are cool. It's clever. And they also make some smaller mounts um, that screw into the tree that allow you to use a cell phone to film, you know, yourself as you're also filming, like a, a cell phone or a GoPro or a secondary camera to get that B-roll footage where you're filming yourself taking a shot while you're also filming the shot itself. And they make one for your boat that mounts to the uses seat holders, the seat platforms, I think, like your little seat bases. Yeah, something to look Yeah, I have to get back on their website. Like I'm, I, I'm supposed to have one of those and another big arm coming. It sounds like it's pretty conducive to run a one-man show if you're trying to set up your own YouTube channel for fishing. And that's exactly what we're going to do. We're going to start getting a lot of, with these camera arms coming to us, we're going to start getting a lot of footage. Um, so you'll see some sweet live videos whenever we've got cell phone signal we went bow fishing last night and we tried to do a live video but you know it's probably good because we were into some you don't want to see catfish <laughs> you, 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 you and, uh, don't want to see that we were into a lot of big catfish <laughs> we didn't come home with any catfish <laughs> i think we kicked a frog 
Yeah, I gigged a gar and a mudfish and a frog. <laughs> But none of us could hit anything with the bow, and it was absolutely pitiful. But it would have been funny to watch. Yeah. That's for sure. I'll tell you this, though. I look forward to being able to do these live videos, because we did one live video last year at the end of duck season. If you guys weren't following us then, uh, you weren't one of the OGs, uh, then <laughs> we actually, you know, I set the live video up, and I was using a small little tripod. Uh, that kind of wraps around stuff, and I'll keep using that. It's great for my phone and stuff like that. Wraps. I had it wrapped around a tree, and I had the phone facing back out over uh, where the ducks should have been coming in at on one of our duck hunts. And I want to say it's the last morning of duck season. And I said, man, it would be great if we could get some ducks just come in perfect right here. But I wasn't really sure, because this was a new spot to me, that that was where they were going to come from. That's just where I told I was told they were going to come from. So, sure enough, I'm just standing there, kind of interacting with people that are on the live feed, talking back and forth, and uh, here comes a pair of woodies. And I dropped one right in the center of the screen. And it was beautiful. Yeah. It's always a good feeling to roll one up. Watch that! Watch that shell pow, smack them right out of the air. It's a good feeling. But it's going to be fun. So we're going to be able to do a lot of filming next year. Uh, so you'll get some actual footage of our hunts, and uh, I'm going to be doing a lot of hunting. I, I the majority of my hunting next year, white-tailed deer included, is going to involve a boat. I'm going to push the limits of access to public land via water down here. Because we have a lot of water in the state of Florida. So hadn't noticed. Yeah. <laughs> and water access is easy. So I'm going to try and use water and my super expensive, super fast 12-foot John boat. Um, <laughs> Talk about hunting on a budget. <laughs> to access, hey, If I've ever listen, seen a budget ring. That's, that right, that's there, right there. That's the baddest John boat you've ever, ever laid eyes on, all right? It's a uh, I've got millennium seats. <laughs> Living the high life, huh? <laughs> but that's the thing. I, I, that's another thing. I have millennium seats in the twelve foot John boat. The seats are expensive, but to me, they were worth it to save the money to buy the seats, comfort wise, because I can spend all day sitting in that seat and be comfortable. If it gets wet, it dries quick. It's cool sitting in the summertime. It's just a comfortable, wide seat. I could have bought something cheaper, but that wasn't. That was that was the buy once, cry once mentality. I knew eventually I was going to buy Millennium seats. Yeah. So the question was, did I want to spend eighty dollars on two cheap seats, two forty dollar seats, and have some decently comfortable seats that were going to work, or did I want to spend two hundred dollars? on two seats that I knew I was going to keep. And eventually, I will uh, go to a bigger boat when I when the budget lines up with it. But I can move those seats to go along with that. So I spent the money, I bought those seats, and I never looked back. Uh, you know, I rag on your boat, but I don't think we ever had a bad time in that boat. That wasn't the one we sank, so. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
I don't know. I don't even know if they've heard that story or not. Oh, we can get into that one. Yeah. That's a lesson learned right there. That's an absolute lesson learned. There's a weight limit on a John boat. <laughs> yes, there is. <laughs> yeah. If you don't want to find out the hard way, plan ahead. <laughs> but so before we get into most of these lesson learned stories, let's talk about the rest of our sponsors. We've got uh, Conquest Sense. Uh, I know you guys have. Most of you have probably heard of Conquest Sense before. Evercom things of that and, and those those brand of scents. I have not uh, you yeah you need to go and check those guys out I don't for more than 15 years conquest Scents has been selling premium hunting scents to hunters around the country what separates them from the majority of other companies on the market is a white-tailed deer farm they've had for more than 27 years in Davidson Michigan you can find hunting scents scent dispensers dog training scents and merchandise and more on their website so Get on their website, check it out. I mean, they've got stuff. They, they've got scents to help keep rats out of your grain, you know. There's all kinds of neat stuff on their website. But the Evercom is supposed to simulate the scent of a deer herd. So when you're in an area, you take your Evercom. It looks like a deodorant stick. Yeah. You wipe it on trees and stuff out in front of you. That way when a deer comes in, they smell that, that herd scent. I just wipe it on myself and stand in the field, huh? You can try it. <laughs> <laughs> that turned into a lesson learned real quick. <laughs> Scarecrow, yeah. So, in addition to that, we've got Bojacks Inc. Uh, makes vibration dampening products. The best designed archery dampening system. They're making, uh, you know, the, the limb dampeners, string dampeners, stabilizers, and... I was surfing through their website, and I was talking to Briar about this last night. Something really cool I never thought about. They actually make a vibration dampener for your trolling motor. Huh. To allow to cut out that vibration, make the trolling motor that much quieter, get you creeping up on those fish in the shallow water. So, uh, Simmons Optics, rifle scopes. I have the first deer I ever killed. Uh, I shot on a Ruger... It was a Ruger 7mm 08 with a Simmons 44 mag on top. 3-9 by a 44. Everything you need, nothing you don't. Uh, Ozonics. Uh, they make the Ozonics ozone generator to eliminate your human odor. Undetectable, undeniable. Dry shod, waterproof footwear. The most wearable, wearable rubber boot. Uh, veteran Innovative Products, VIP Broadheads. The first and only scalpel sharp broadhead with a dual spring variable cutting width suspension for superior penetration. Um, elevated Safety Systems. Rancho Rio Lindo in Uvalde, Texas. is home to 300 acres of Texas Hill Country. Home to Axis Deer, Whitetail Deer, Black Buck Antelope, Doll Sheep, Black Hawaiian Rams, Rio Grande Turkey, and Plenty of Wild Hogs. Piney Woods Hunting Lodge in Eufaula, Alabama is home to over 3,000 acres of hunting land and many experienced guides. They are ready to show you a great whitetail or wing shooting adventure. You can go to uh, the Piney Woods Lodge in Alabama and they've got pheasant, quail, dove. They've got some pheasant towers. So, be a good time. Good wing shooting time. And now they kill some monster bucks out of there. Hey, that's half the hunting is finding the opportunity. Yeah. So, got to go to where the animals are. We know they're there. So, take it away with the first lesson learned, Ian. 
Weight yeah. limits on a John boat. Weight limits on a John boat. <laughs> I don't even remember what we used to fasten that thing together. It was, uh, you're going to have to help me out with that this. That goes back to bow fishing like we were doing right. last night. Yeah. We had, I had uh, found a 12-foot John boat. We got it for like 15 bucks at a yard sale. Had a small leak in it, patched the leak, put a little five-horse game fisher, I think it was, on the back of it, yeah. and a trolling motor. And I'd be fair, that boat performed wonderfully until we got the bright idea of putting a deck on the front. Yeah, we put the bow fishing deck on the front. Yeah. We had a, we built a bow fishing deck out of plywood and two by fours, and <laughs> then we used um, fog lights off my dad's old jeep he had laying around in the shed, and uh, wired it up with some wires that were laying around in the shed. <laughs> A little bit of work led to a lot of fun, and then a lot of fun led to inviting more people out. And I can't remember how many people we shoved into that boat. What was it? Four of us? It was me, you, and Eric. It was three of us? Uh, yeah. It was three of us, yeah. Yeah. But um, I have no idea how much that deck weighed by the time we were done, but it was sturdy. I'll give you that. I'll give us that because we all put it together. So here we are. 10 o'clock at night, cooking along down the bank of the local lake we all live within walking distance of. And uh, me and Ian were in the back of the boat. Eric was sitting on the deck. We're going to the far end of the lake. That's where we're going to start our boat fishing adventure. There's always some big gar down there. Um, I don't know what happened. It kind of seemed like we hit a wave or something. And yeah, something crawled over the bow. A little bit of water got over the bow, water. got Eric a little wet. Yep. Eric jumped up, ran to the back of the boat. He's like, there's water coming in. <laughs> he came to the back, and that put the weight of the motor, me, Ian, the battery, and the gas tank, plus Eric in the back of the boat, and the back of the boat just bloop, went underwater. And that was, uh, that was all she wrote. Yeah. Here we are struggling to... Added with the, the weight of uh, whatever whatever water from that that wave broke over the bow. Yeah, <laughs> she went down quick. We managed to it save did. the bow fishing bows. We yeah. had our. Uh, I think about throwable. The, only, the only thing missing was the band from the Titanic movie playing as she sank. She went down a whole lot faster than Titanic. <laughs> did I tell you that? Yeah, was they got, water they got, got, in less than a minute. Would have got about two notes out. <laughs> And here we are swimming back to 100 yeah. yards to shore in boots and blue jeans, carrying bow fishing bows. Yeah. We took everything, everything that wasn't fastened down that we could grab and swam from the bank. Lord knows by the time we got back, we're just looking at each other thinking, we're going to have to go back and, and find that stuff that your dad owns. So <laughs> He's going to be mad. The best part about it was, was that... Uh, We, the bow fishing deck we built actually kept the bow of the boat floating. So we went back to the house, grabbed the 12 foot John boat that I still use to this day, and dropped it in the water and paddled it, paddled it out there and tied a ski rope to it, and then paddled back to shore and pulled the boat in. I don't remember how long that took. We lost. But we were out there for several hours. We lost the gas tank, the battery, and the trolling motor, but managed to keep the five-horse game fisher. And then me and Briar 
tore it all back down and uh, got the motor running again. So we got it. Once we got it running again, we uh, then turned around and sold it. I mean, it took a whole rebuild of that engine, though. There were too many bad memories to hold on to it. No. That thing was so <laughs> loud. That five-horse air-cooled engine. Heck no. I wasn't going to keep that thing. Yeah, we slayed quite a few gar in it, too. We did. And, I, I mean, ran that motor around that lake so many times. Just that one lake. I never really ran it anywhere else. I never registered the boat. But we were on a private lake, so we didn't have to. Uh, but now... I've got a 9.9 Yamaha on there, and she screams, but she's quiet because it's a four-stroke, and it's not air-cooled. It's water-cooled. So the biggest takeaway for you, uh, all joking aside, what was the major lesson learned? Evenly distribute weight in the John boat. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and another lesson, boat lesson learned is always put the plug in. <laughs> Or always check to make sure the plug is in. They saw me, you heard me ask Briar last night, you got the plug in? He's like, I'm not you. <laughs> well, I'll tell you that story. Uh, I had borrowed my brother's boat early one morning to go bass fishing. Uh, back when he had his first mud boat. And I backed it in the water, took it off the trailer, and then went to go park the car. It kept backing in the water on its own? No, no, no. no. <laughs> like I told you, you came back. Walk back sunk. over there, and the fucking ass end of the boat is hanging real low in the water. I'm like, oh, crap, what is that? Walk over there. It had been pulling in water the whole time. Yeah, see, it was still backing into the water on its own. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wasn't underwater. So I was able to get the plug in and then ran around, got the vehicle, back to back in there, pulled it out of the water, pulled the plug out, drained it out, fired it up, and went fishing. Could have been a whole lot worse. But you bet your butt now, from now on, every time I get in the boat, I'm like, you got the plug in there? <laughs> it's important to learn from your mistakes, not to just make mistakes. Well, it's important to learn from your mistakes, from my perspective as well. <laughs> right. Learn from my mistakes. Don't make my mistakes. Learn from my mistakes. Well, I'm trying to trying to think of a, another instance where maybe there's a good lesson learned in there. Maybe vetting people that you're going to go with a little bit more. Um, I was doing a, a dog hunt, coyotes for the white person in Washington. And me and a close friend and, and uh, one of his buddies decided to go. And, you know, being a member of the, the outdoor community, you don't, you don't necessarily just, uh, just cast them aside and say, no, figure it out yourself. No, you want to take them under your wing and take them out, which is fine. It's a good kid. It's part of recruitment, yeah, the yeah. R3, yeah. you know. He grew up in uh, Michigan, whitetail hunting. I don't think he'd ever been coyote hunting. And about all he had was a, a 270, which is fine. That's okay. But before you go out, you explain to him some of the tactics you're going to use and, and how it's going to go. And typically what happens when you call a dog in and you want to get him as close as possible. Well, we sat, we called for, I don't know, maybe five, maybe it was ten minutes. Probably could could have been just shy of that. And we had young of the year, this pup runs in. 
base of the hill we had set up on probably 100 yards out. And the way I've been doing it for a long time is you want to see if you want to see if they'll come closer, come closer, come closer. Because at the end of the day, um, the people that I've learned from and from what I've seen in my experience, coyote is it is a, a wild dog, but it's just a dog. They have they have a lot of the same tendencies. Sometimes you can call them right back in, even though they've been spooked. So it comes in and it stops and it does that typical coyote thing where it stops, puts its nose to the air, searches around for a while, see where that noise is coming from. We had an e-call going and uh, it sits there for a split second. And I'm thinking, well, this guy, he's willing to come in closer, right? I give it another split second. Lord knows how much time it actually passed. It was, it was all in the blink of an eye looking back. And I'm thinking this guy's going to come in closer. So you need to on the call a little bit more. And I hear this massive crack. He just let one loose with his 270. Totally missed it. Bolts out of there, right? Well, looking back, I don't mean vet people as in like, I mean, you, you're probably not going to take somebody out there that you believe is going to be unsafe with a firearm or anything. Like, he, he seems solid in that aspect. But by vetting him, I mean, do, do some quality control and, and PMCS their equipment with him before you go out. Because I don't know what he was using as far as mounts for his, his uh, gun and his optic, but it was off. It was loose. So he let that round fly. There's no telling where it went. And we lost a shot in the coyote. So... That's what I mean by vet. So vet your people, um, educate them a little bit more maybe than I did before we, we stepped off. And um, so make sure what they're using is solid for what they're going to be using it for. So when you're talking about doing that type of stuff, you talk about a loose mount, ways you can eliminate or make sure your mount isn't coming loose because it can happen, especially if you're not using quality equipment. Um, <clears throat> you can use paint marker and when you tighten it down to whatever torque, inch-pound torque specifications is recommended by the manufacturer, um, then you'll take that paint marker and you'll draw a line from the bolt to where it touches the metal. And if that line shifts at all, that means you know you're you're getting loose. Yeah, and you're gonna have a zero shift. Right. If it's loose and yeah. Um, and that that can change your point of aim, point of impact. So. Uh, but that goes back to, you know, we talked about this a lot when I, I did several episodes with Tyke. Is, it's just better in that aspect to spend a little more and get that quality equipment because when the moment comes down to it, you know, it comes down to that time to take that shot. You owe it to the animal to have spent the money to have the quality equipment uh, to, to be able to make that shot, reliably make that shot. And you need to practice um, and also, when you're taking out those new people, like you were saying, you make sure you're all reading the same sheet of music. Yep. As to how things are going to go down, who's going to shoot when, who's going to shoot first. You know, it's a big thing when we're out in the duck boat, you know. Uh, whoever's boat, you know, it is. Whoever whoever drove the boat, I would say, is if the owner of the boat's not there, they're calling the shots. So... <clears throat> You're not standing up and shooting ahead of everybody else. You got one guy calling the shots. Everybody gets up together, shoots. That was a good time. Yep. It's more fun that way when you're all working together. Uh, and don't uh, don't coyote hunt with tight because he'll just shoot him up underneath <laughs> you. And I've told you that story before. <laughs> yeah, it would have been a. It still would have been a good end to a hunt, even if he cracked one off too soon. Still, still. Uh, 
down the damn dog. But yeah. Yeah, yeah. well, you know, Tyke, uh, we rolled up on the field we're going to set up in. There's already a coyote in it. And so we're hurrying to get out of the truck and, and get out to where we want to set up. And as I'm in the back seat digging out the shotgun, uh, that's one of the things I learned. It's always good to have a shotgun man and a rifle man. He, uh, he says, where's the rifle at? Where's that 17? And I said, it's in the driver driver's seat floorboard. I said, why? And then I peeked around to, through the driver's window and keow, dropped him standing out in the middle of the, middle of the field. I'd say it's still a good hunt. It was good. I mean, I was happy, but yeah. sorry, dog. <laughs> yeah. He still got that skin to this day. He, I don't know if he talked about it, but it looks, he yeah. tanned it himself and it looks terrible. But, you know, he keeps it because uh, people come out in his garage and they go, what the heck is that? And he goes, it's a coyote. You never know it's a coyote, but it's a coyote. <laughs> <laughs> and it's those on-the-fly moments, too, where it really does matter, going back to what you said, making sure your equipment's set up right, because that's not the time to be dealing with a loose mount. And you don't just want to go and uh, pick up random strangers at the boat ramp, <clears throat> Briar, and take them out in your boat because you're lonely. <laughs> he did that. I don't know the friend. whole story behind it. Uh, but he did pick up some randos at the boat ramp. They well, were standing there. Said, we'll hunt for food. They were standing there fishing off the bank at the ramp, and they were like, take us out in your boat. And he was like, all right, let's go. And he said, I should have never took them out in the boat. But... <laughs> we need Brian for some lesson learned. I feel like he's got a whole deck of them. Yeah. <laughs> the <rest> of us. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of any other any other instances. Always carry medical equipment. Yeah. At least, you know, the minimal amount of medical equipment. And I speak from a... I stabbed myself in the stomach with the pocket knife I've got in my pocket right now. It was a stupid mistake. And... But I was definitely very glad I had the medical equipment with me that I had at the time. Because I was able to bandage myself up. And it wasn't, it was, should I have gotten stitches? Yeah, probably. I should have had two or three. But it wasn't so deep. I was able to control the bleeding. I hadn't, wasn't deep enough to get any internal organs. So well, you've also, on that note, had some extensive I do training. have some medical training, yeah. yes. Quite a bit of medical training. I think that goes along with having the gears. If you're going to have the gear, know how to use it right. the right way. Go out, take a medical training class. Yeah. Dude, you, you can get first aid classes. A lot of times you can find those cheap, if not free. YMCA, well, used to put on stuff like that. But I'm sure a quick visit to the old Google machine uh, can tell you where you can get those first aid classes. And, you know, that is something that it's always good to have that in the old memory bank. And every so often, you need to go back and take another first aid class because me the medical field is constantly advancing, so things are going to change. I mean, I've been certified on CPR probably four different times now, and it's every time I go get recertified, something has changed. Yeah. And I think there's a, a stigma surrounding hunting and, and, and having that medical mount. Like, there's certain places where you'll go hunting, where you're hunting dangerous game. And I, I believe there's a lot of places that require you get some sort of medical training before you go out, just because of the, the area that you're going to be hunting in and the fact that you're hunting dangerous game at the same time. But when I say stigma, people apply it only to those instances and don't concern themselves with the fact that accidents happen on your your quote-unquote average ordinary stand hunt as well Yeah. when you're doing whitetail hunting. 
This this me stabbing myself was complete total accident. I wasn't in the woods. I was at camp. I was cutting a zip tie, and I stuck myself pretty good. Um, but I was able to control the bleeding, and I went out for the afternoon hunt. And then we went into town to get batteries. I got some super glue, and I super glued her shut. And uh, now I've got a cool scar. And every time somebody has to borrow my knife, I say, "Be careful! I stabbed a man with that knife." <laughs> I don't tell him it was me. <laughs> Just tell him I stabbed a man with that knife. Well, you're not lying. No, I'm not. I'm completely honest. I stabbed a man. I stabbed myself, but I stabbed a man. I know a guy used to tell people he had to, he had to shoot his best friend between the eyes. Later you find out it was his dog, and his dog was dying anyway. <laughs> <laughs> That's sad. So, man, more lessons I've learned. Just play the wind. Play the wind. It, don't, you, you can't ever rely on technology and those scent controls. The scent eliminator sprays don't work. They they just don't. I don't waste money on scent eliminator sprays. I'm really excited to get my hands on this Ozonic stuff and give this stuff yeah. a try. But my big thing is, is playing the wind. And even, even using the Ozonics, I would still want to play the wind because... <clears throat> the wind blowing my scent away from my target area is the best way to avoid detection. But having that Ozonics to sit there and literally to have it have my back yep. is is going to be a is going to be a game changer because you know you never know where deer are going to come from. Yeah, a lot of times you hear stories and anecdotal evidence about how well scent blocker works. That's what it is. It's anecdotal evidence. Um, is there science behind it? Absolutely, there is. Does it work in every instance? Have you been, see where I'm from, you do a lot of spot and stock. You've been, you've been trudging around, and the sun's still coming up. And believe it or not, it still gets hot out there. Right? Maybe not as muggy as here in Florida and, and quite as hot, but you start to sweat a lot. And when you sweat, you stink. Right? Playing the wind still matters. I hear a lot of... Maybe, maybe pros and, and cons against playing with scent eliminators and stuff. I'm not saying don't use it. What I'm saying is, every story, every success story you hear about this scent blocker stuff working, whatever it is, um, a lot of it has to do with where the person was set up over anything else. So um, be wary of what you hear. <laughs> do your own research. Look into it. I'm not going to say there's products out there that don't work as advertised, but. It's not the end-all, be-all. You still have to hunt right. I'm a big fan of using cover scent <clears throat> over scent elimination. Uh, I man, and I haven't seen this in years, but Tinks used to make a persimmon spray, mm. and I almost started wearing that stuff as cologne because it smells great. I remember we were kids. We used to rub dog fennel all over us. Yep, use dog fennel as another great cover. It's a local cover cover scent. Yeah. Um, you can use a lot of guys. Yeah, I've seen it becoming more popular to get a bee smoker and use smoke as a cover scent. It's a naturally occurring scent that drifts through the woods. Hmm. Um, but dog fennel is a good one down here, but dog fennel is not something that's growing everywhere. And dog fennel is just a very aromatic, very tall weed, and you could break it and rub it all over your clothes, and it would, it would, you'd smell like dog fennel. And what's key is it's budget-friendly. It's free. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. yeah. Can't beat that. Whole five-finger discount from Mother Earth. Um, but 
another thing too you want to think about don't be don't waste money on that scent eliminator laundry detergent uh, because it doesn't really eliminate scent and you want to avoid laundry detergent that is this UV free like the color enhancer you don't want color enhancers in your laundry detergent you're washing your hunting clothes with simply go to the, the grocery store and buy the scent free laundry detergent it's gonna get there it's gonna wash out the stank and yeah. down here in Florida, when you're hunting early in the bow season, you, your clothes are going to be full of stank. I don't mean stink, I mean stank. Yeah. <laughs> S-T-A-N-K, stank. I'm standing here and sweating. Yeah, I smell you. Yeah. I smell like a man. Smells, yeah, sure. <laughs> <coughs> Homeless man. It's uh, a man. I'll take it. <laughs> but uh, that that odor-free laundry detergent, you, you heard us talk with Mark about that. Um few episodes back that was I mean, that was quite a while ago but using that just odor free laundry detergent and then the cover scents on top of that you're going to save a lot of money versus buying you're buying a big gallon jug of that odor free stuff for eight ten bucks versus buying one small thing that you're going to get two or three loads out of for that. i mean Think about it this Eight way. To 10 bucks. Everybody's hunting setup is different. Some people they wake up early and drive from their house out to their hunting spot. Some people go to hunting camps. I mean, it, depending on what you do, if you buy the scent eliminator like detergents and stuff, and you use them and you throw your hunting hunting camo on, and you hop in your truck, what have you just done? I'll tell you this: you you bring that up, and I, I'll I'll give you another lesson learned off of that one. My feet get cold because my feet sweat. So no matter how warm a boot I put on, if I wear that boot a lot, like if I if I put it on and then I hop in my truck and I drive to wherever I'm going wearing that nice insulated boot, my feet are going to be cold. So what I did to fix that is I got me a sweet pair of Bottomland Crocs. <laughs> I've got them on right now. And they're comfortable. But what I, the main reason I bought these Crocs was to be able to throw on maybe a warmer pair of socks, slip these Crocs on, jump in the truck, drive where I gotta drive. When I get to where I'm going, before I go to the tree stand, then I'll put those boots on. May even change socks at that point. Put on a regular pair of socks, get in the truck. Because the heater's gonna run in the truck. I'm not gonna drive without the heater on, right? So, I'm not wearing any of my warm clothes in there. I'm relying strictly on the heater to keep me warm. And then when I get out of the truck, depending on how far I'm walking from where I parked, I may not be putting a lot of warm clothes on because I don't want to sweat between my truck and the tree stand. What I'm going to do is I'm going to take those warmer layers, the big layers, and I'm going to pack them in my backpack. If I'm using a ladder stand, I'll put my clothes on at the base of the ladder. There's not a lot of work involved in getting up on a ladder stand. If I'm going to use a climber, I will climb the tree, get strapped in with my harness, and then... Uh, put my warmer layers on because all of that is going to work up it's going to you're going to build up body heat doing that and if i'm wearing that big thick jacket in the cold and nice warm thick pants in the cold i'm just going to sweat and if i sweat i'm just going to get cold so i don't wear those layers to the tree stand i put them on when i get there that's a lot of forethought i think you're just looking for a reason to wear crocs everywhere I love my Crocs, man. I wear them all over the place. I may smell like a homeless person, but at least I don't look like one. <laughs> don't 
Don't make fun of my Crocs. I got to get a new pair. The, the tread on these mud grips on the bottom's wearing out. <laughs> They've got some. I got. How much I got. Mud have they seen? I got plenty of side lug. Uh, these are these are these are parking lot queens, man. They don't get. They don't get. That's not true. I have scouted deer in a pair of Crocs. You know, and I'm. <laughs> I look forward to getting Dylan on. Uh, my buddy Dylan that I hunted with a lot in Georgia, he wears his pawpaw shoes is what he calls them. And that man, these are like some Tom's slippers. Hey, man. All right? Don't knock on the Tom's. He's out there in shin-deep water and shorts and a pair of Tom's walking through the swamp. I'm like, bro, why don't you get some rubber boots? You know, at least you'd be dry. Nah, these are fine. I watched him deer hunt in 28 degrees, raining, blowing wind. Here he goes out. Camo camo jacket, camo pants, ready to go, pair of toms. I'm like, dude. There's a guy But they're quiet. A, yeah, uh-huh. there's a guy that runs a traditional archery store out of Florida. I can't remember exactly where in Florida. It's on the Gulf Coast somewhere, I think. And he does a lot with traditional archery and, and like ancient style stuff. He flint naps and does his own he, he makes everything from scratch. He hunts in a pair of moccasins. A legit pair of moccasins. That's all he uses. For a lot of his hunts in a swampland, sees a lot of great success with it too. So yeah, I ain't gonna sit there and knock on it. Another lesson learned for me is you don't know what you don't know, and, and, and don't knock it, especially if somebody else sees success with it. Uh, when it comes to camouflage, man, just this past couple years, I have switched over to natural gear. Um, I like their pattern. I wear their natural when everything's dead. I wear their SC2 green camo when it's still kind of green out. Works great for duck hunting. Works great for deer hunting. Works just works great. But you don't need that expensive camouflage. Natural gear is not cheap, but natural gear is not First Light or yeah. QU or uh, any of those other super top of Sitka. Line that we were talking yeah, about. they're yeah. not super. It's not super. Which expensive. those are great if you got the if you got the budget for it. I wouldn't dissuade you from getting it, I... but, but at the same time, if you can get something that's a little more cost-effective and does what it's intended to do, well... I just it. have no... I don't like Sitka's pattern. I Hey, hate me for it. I do not like their patterns. I think they're ugly. I don't... And Yeah, what, what does the animal you're hunting think? I have heard that it doesn't work that great. I don't know... Maybe their duck patterns work good. A lot of guys wear the Sitka waders. I've again that comes down to anecdotal too, just to play devil's advocate because I know I know guys that hunt in flannels and jeans. So right, it's all about as as Fred Bear said, "Sit still, be quiet." Your, Fair your, enough. Your yeah. great grandfather or your grandfather killed white-tailed deer in uh, a red flannel and blue jeans, but he sat still and he was quiet. Wouldn't recommend blue jeans just because deer see blue really well. But I digress. I think the overall point is you don't have to spend quite so much. No. So when you're looking at warm stuff, and we've said this in the past, you can go to places like um, if if you're in a state in a that has a lot of has ski towns, ski resorts in the wintertime, whether they make their own snow or you get natural snowfall, you can go to Goodwill. And you could pick up some sweet gear that's really warm for really cheap. And then you just drive down to your local Walmart and you pick up some camouflage pants and a camouflage like button-up shirt 
for cheap and you buy it way too big and you put on your neon green ski gear and you pull on those big camouflage pants and big shirt over top of that stuff and guess what now you're warm and you're camouflaged on a budget i can't argue with that logic may can't. not be the most comfortable thing in the world but well I, I don't see why it wouldn't be it's a little awkward maybe having those thin pants on over top of the thick stuff pockets wise but you're camouflaged and you're warm your camouflage is not providing you with the warmth but it's providing you with the camouflage well, at the end of the day if you take your game yeah yeah absolutely absolutely um, and I actually, you know, when I switched over to natural gear, I switched away from wearing just a solid orange vest, and I went to a broken orange pattern. Yeah. Um, deer do not see orange, but they do see, when they look at an orange, they see that solid blob. So I switched over to that broken orange pattern. I don't know if it makes any difference. Uh, I haven't noticed a definitive difference, but it's one of those things where, like, it makes me feel better. So <laughs> that's what counts, right? I mean, when I'm wearing orange, I'm generally hunting with a rifle anyway, so does, does it really matter? Nah, probably not. Is that what they mean when they say, look good, feel good? Yeah. 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 Half the battle's looking cool. Well, I'm still still trying to win that battle. <laughs> <laughs> so, but, man, what else can I, what else can I, some knowledge you, I can impart on you? Well, I'm sure you've got plenty of fishing stories. And duck hunting stories floating around your head. About Not so many duck hunting stories. I've really got into the duck hunting here in the past few years. So my I... first time going was um, just this past year, the first time I ever shot a duck. And there may be a story in there. Me and my buddy Mike, who's been on the podcast before. He was with uh, you on the same episode. Yep. Um, uh, we went out to a local place a few minutes from his house. And uh, his dog, he had still been training. And wasn't the most reliable pup. Uh, good dog. Wasn't the most reliable pup at the time. Since then, he's trained. Um, but as far as retrieving ducks, we didn't really have a solid plan. We just figured, hey, it's the ocean we're going to be hunting over. Cause we're, in a, we're in the sound. Right? And uh, <laughs> basically, we didn't have a plan. And we downed quite a few ducks that got lost in the surf that day. So... Um, after probably losing, I think two or three, he just had enough of it and went out in the, <laughs> went out into the sound. It's salt water, so it's above freezing, but sun's going down and I don't think I'd ever seen somebody shiver quite that much because he swam probably 25, 30 yards, something like that, to go, go retrieve a duck before we'd had a bald eagle and that, the island we're hunting on is full of them, but we had a bald eagle swirling around us and and I think he'd yoink two from us, and Mike didn't want to let him have a third. So my duck <laughs> swam out there and got it. But there's a lesson learned in there, too. Have a plan. Those do even count against your a, limit. Yeah, even if it's just a kayak or something. Have a plan. So I'll tell you about a duck hunt without a plan. Oh, no. We, uh, me and AJ, in my 12-foot John boat, um, had gone out to a WMA local to us when I lived in Georgia. And it was severely flooded because the river was 13 feet over its banks. So we were in some sweet flooded timber. We felt like we were in Arkansas, but we were in southeast Georgia. Old Arkansas. So we're out there. We're looking at, you know, maps, looking at this lake, that lake, trying to figure out where we can get to it. 
get out to this lake, and we're like, yeah, this, this could be a sweet spot. So we find it. We don't have a blind on the boat, uh, but we found a good overhanging limb, crawled up underneath it with the John boat, and then uh, just kind of cut some holes so we could stand up to the limb and shoot if we needed to. And we're just hanging out. Didn't think anything about the fact that because the river was so high, that lake had a current. So here we are, not knowing if we're going to see ducks. Uh, had a pair of woodies come in. AJ dropped a hen. She hits the water, and there she goes, just <laughs> floating away. I was like, "Oh crap!" So we abandoned our tree limb, and we're out there paddling our our hearts our hearts out to to try and get this duck. Mind you, we don't have a motor on the boat. We just have a couple of paddles. Get the duck, and then uh, as we're trying to make our way back to the blind, the wood ducks just come to life. Mm. So now we're trying to find a happy medium between paddling to keep us towards the middle of the lake and still trying to shoot ducks <laughs> as they're passing <laughs> over us. And it was awesome, though, because that turned out to be an, a, just an awesome spot to duck hunt. And we, turned, we went back out there and were more prepared, knowing that we are going to have to chase these ducks down. So we set ourselves up to where current would push ducks to us after we shot them out in front of us uh, we may have to shift a little to the right a little to the left we built some blinds for the boat boats and uh, went after it that way we had much better success much better success later on in the year but that was that was just duck hunting on a whim <laughs> yeah uh, going back to old Briar's story about picking people up in a boat we'd actually come across another hunter he saw us in our blind and he'd where we hunt, there's a, a road that drives by probably within 100 yards and goes off in a different direction. So you have safe safe shooting lanes out over the sound, out of this small bay area in the island. And then we see a truck drive by, it, it pulls a Yui, comes back and starts watching us for a while. And uh, on the way back out, we make contact with a guy, just been sitting there watching us. He was perfectly content with watching us. I find out he's a younger guy, college age from Alaska, just down in Washington for, uh, I think he had family down there, and uh, struck up a relationship with him, and there, was, there wasn't there was this, hey, come out and hunt with us right now, <laughs> but there was a little back and forth for a while, and kind of got a good feeling about him, knew what he was doing, and we ended up taking him out and had a blast, absolute blast with the kid, so um, that's not to dissuade you from taking people out, like, still have success stories oh, absolutely. And, and introduce people to, to your hunting spot and I mean it, it, it's not saying don't be a, a good steward of the outdoors and, and, and don't be a good steward of, of um, well, how do I want to say this of um, being a good sportsman toward your fellow sportsmen you can still do it right. just be a little smarter about it than maybe picking somebody up on your boat the same day you just met them um so, coming to the end here, we're going to kind of wrap things up a bit. And I'll tell you this, if you are just now finding out about this partnership and all these sponsors we picked up, that means that you are not following our social media pages because the video is going to be there first. And this is kind of weird to say it because the video is not there right now. <laughs> but it's going to be there before this podcast comes out. So... If you're hearing about it on the podcast, you haven't seen the video announcing this stuff, then you need to 
get over there and follow us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram because the videos are going to be there for you to see. Um, that's where you're going to get a lot of our video content as we move on here. We're going to start uh, doing a lot of live feeds when we do these podcasts because we've also stepped up our game and we're not recording off a nice little cell phone setup. I actually have a sweet computer setup now, so we're getting it all moving up running in the that world. way. Yeah, moving up in the world, right? I look professional, although I am not a professional. Uh, you look almost in your Crocs. Right. Hey, <laughs> we talked about looking cool, all right? Looking cool is half the battle. But next week, next week is going to be a good one. We're going to have the Florida chapter of Backcountry Hunters and Anglers on. A lot of their... Uh, Florida chairs, vice chairs, and stuff like that from the state of Florida. And we're going to talk about what backcountry hunters and anglers does, what they're doing in the state of Florida, and the big challenges facing them. And on top of that, we're going to give away some sweet stuff. I've heard rumors of maybe a bag cooler. I know we're going to give away some memberships to people who are interacting with our live video. Uh, if you guys want to get on there and ask us some questions, if we answer your question, guess what you're getting? A free membership to, uh, annual membership to Backcountry Hunters and Anglers. Right. So. Piqued my interest. You're going to get on there. And that's only, I think we're going to give away, last I heard, it's going to be like five or six memberships. So you're going to have to get in there and get some good questions in. One of the first five or six. And, uh, I tell you what, if you miss the first five or six and we still ask your question, I will mail you a koozie. Oh. One of those nice little koozies. Yeah, I'll send you Under Pressure Outdoors koozie. I got plenty of those laying around. Don't worry, you won't lose it. It's got Hunter's Orange on it. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I'll I'll give you that for my tip of the week. Oh, and by the way, this week we announced a um, giveaway. We're going to do a giveaway to whoever could guess the score of that deer. And you guys, you, you really failed me. Um, because only one person commented on it and because of that I will tell you Brian Yost I'm sorry if I mispronounced your last name I don't have a gross score for you because I actually haven't been back to score the deer but because you commented with 65 gross and you were the only one you were the closest no matter what it scored so you win a koozie. Hey, sometimes so it's to, to take man, that shot. <laughs> I'm a man of my word, and I will mail you a koozie. I'm going to shoot you a message, and uh, we'll get it mailed over to you. So uh, you guys missing out on free stuff, free stuff. It's a big solid thank you from you to him, though. Yeah, yeah. that was a really hard deer to guess, though. I'll give you that because it's just a wonky-looking sucker. Uh, and my brother Jordan, he's on the podcast with us. He's one of our, our crew here at under pressure outdoors he shot that deer last year uh just got the head back so pretty cool but tune in for that backcountry hunters and anglers because we're going to be talking about some really hot topics specifically uh hunting black bears in the state of florida as a management tool mm-hmm. and that's a very hot topic here a lot of people uh well i wouldn't say a lot of people are against it but the people who are against it are very vocal about it mm-hmm. So as it sits, I'll give you a little insight into that. As it sits right now, we have a black bear season in the state of Florida. But the bag limit is zero. What's the point? The season exists, but the limit is zero. Yeah. Um, so that it's there and it's ready to open when 
when they decide to do it again. But I'm going to save the rest of that for next week. Yep. So my Under Pressure Outdoors tip of the week this week is going to be when you buy those little things for hunting, GPSs, handheld GPSs if you're not using your phone, uh, compasses, um, walkie-talkies, don't buy them in camouflage. Buy them in the brightest color you can find them in. Because when you drop that little sucker out of the tree stand, (laughs) I have done this, and you're like, you know what? I'm 20 feet up in a climber. I'm not climbing back down to get that. I'll climb back down when I need it. And then you sit there for two hours, and then it gets dark. Two, three hours, it gets dark, and you get down. You're like, I'm going to find it now. You ain't going to find it. They become really hard to find once they've been sitting there for a while, and you forgot exactly where it's at because you've been looking for deer and everything else. Fair enough. Um, I just want to say for my parting shot that I'm really excited to see where the podcast is going. Um, There's a lot of cool opportunities. And the ability for you to connect your listeners with these opportunities is is uh, it's something that, that you've been blessed with the ability to do. So um, all these new sponsors, every everything that's that's happening, it sounds like things are ju- like everything's just jiving for you. So I'm looking forward to see where it goes, and um, I wish you all the best. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. And um, I, as a parting shot listen to the podcast um, real parting shot um, don't it's be afraid a, to learn it's kind of a moot point to tell them to <laughs> yeah. listen to the podcast <laughs> yeah. on the podcast because the they're already one. it's at yeah. the very end yeah. of an hour and yeah. ten minutes you well know? if they stuck with you then <laughs> <laughs> um, good on you you've been listening to yeah. the podcast um, the real one is, is don't be afraid to learn don't be afraid to admit that you don't know what you don't know and um if you have questions about gear, if you have questions about anything, you can reach out to, to Will. Uh, you know how to get a hold of him by now. And um, even if you can't reach out to him or you don't feel like it, there's a, there's a wealth of knowledge out there. Just learn. Just learn new things and don't be afraid to get uh, – don't get stuck in the same old ruts. And rut's not a pun. It's not a hunting pun. I really mean that. It's, yeah. really, it's really easy to think you know everything and then hit the woods and, and, uh, and your hunt suffers because – you didn't take the time to listen to somebody or, or find out something you didn't know. So that's my parting shot. And I'll say this too. So you've come this far. You want to know how to contact me. You can get a hold of me at underpressureoutdoors at gmail. You can message us on Facebook on the Under Pressure Outdoors page. You can message me on Instagram at underpressureoutdoors. Um, those are the three ways you're going to get in contact with me. So... I'll answer any questions you have to the best of my knowledge, and if I don't know, I will do my best to find out for you. I mean, shoot, I could build a whole podcast out of your question if I don't know, because you're going to prompt me to research some stuff and ask some people and try and find a subject matter expert. Uh, We're going to get on here in the next few weeks after this. We're going to have an entire episode dedicated to trapping. I don't know. I don't know. Nothing about trapping, but I know that it's a very effective way to deal with coyotes. Um, if you're trying to thin him out to save your deer herd. But I know a guy that does, does know a lot about trapping. So we're going to get him on as a guest. It's going to be great. So, and I'll say this. If you're listening to us, give us a review. 
the next person to give us a written review, good, bad, or indifferent, on iTunes, I'll send you some Under Pressure Outdoors swag. Heck, that is good. Yeah. I mean, just like I said, we Feedback is feedback. Yeah, you know, we want to change things. And, I, and we want to make things better for you guys. Make it more pleasurable. So, we're learning, but we're having a good time. And as soon as this stops being fun, then I think I'll probably stop doing it. Uh, ah, you'll be doing this for a long time, then. But I enjoy it. Yeah, I mean, I really enjoy it. It's like hunting. And if, if hunting ever becomes boring to you, then you, you shouldn't be out there. Same for fishing, the outdoors. If you lose that love and the lust to be out there in nature, then just stop. Stop. You're not doing yourself a favor. But I don't know how somebody could. I mean, I've been I've been hunting deer for I've been hunting deer for twenty five years, and a spike buck can walk out, and I'm still going to get the shakes. <laughs> I've come to the point where I can calm myself down, but I still get excited. The adrenaline still gets pumping just to see the deer right there on top of you out of nowhere. Boom! They just pop out of nowhere, and you see them. It's yeah. exciting. It connects you with with what's going on around you. And even not seeing deer, I just like being in the woods, yeah. the tranquility of it. So, but until next week. I think uh, here in the near future, we've got some fish to go snag. And uh, until we meet again on the podcast, we'll have to build a few more stories, be able to share them. But I'm going to take my leave. And again, thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on with us. Get on there, write a review, and get some free stuff. Uh, I think that's cheating if I do it. Well, I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about them. Oh, all right. Well, I don't care what I'm you think. I'm still going to do it. <laughs> maybe, maybe I'll be the only one. You already got some free stuff. I'm yeah, not going to give you any more free stuff. That's true. But, hey, it's been good.